the Cambridge Marketing Podcast with Kiran Kapoor. Brought to you by Cambridge Marketing College. See their range of courses and apprenticeships at marketingcollege.com. Hello and welcome. This week, we're going to be talking about marketing inside out. So that's looking at your marketing team and your process. And I'm delighted to be joined by Tim Parkin, all the way from Florida. Um, Tim is an advisor to marketing executives to maximize the results of the marketing team. Tim, thank you very much. I know it's very early in the morning for you at the time we're recording. So uh, thank you for coming on. Can we start with why marketing inside out? You know, after all of my years of experience advising and coaching and training marketing teams, I found a common problem and a thread, a red thread, if you will. And that is that marketers love to focus on the customers. And my proposition, which may sound uh, controversial, is that we have to forget about our customers. And it reminds me of when you're flying on an airplane and you see the safety demonstration and they talk about the oxygen masks. And when they say, if the oxygen masks fall down, put yours on first before you help other people. Because if you don't, you'll fall unconscious and then you can't help other people. And this is, I think, how marketers need to look at marketing, that the common problems I see with marketing teams are the result of them focusing on the customers and not their internal people and processes. And so we need to reverse this and look inside before we look outside so that we can do better marketing and serve the people we really want to serve. So this is a sort of physician to heal thyself uh, message. Certainly one of the toughest things I think is to be a marketer of something like a marketing college or the Chartered Institute of Marketing. I mean, it's a really tough job to do because you're trying to market marketers. What sort of things do teams not get right? Well, there's so much, you know, this is the travesty, I think, of it, that most of my clients, you know, are billion dollar companies. And the bigger you are, you like to think, and I thought naively, the more money you have, the more people you have, you know, the easier it is. And in fact, it's quite the opposite, that when you have more people, uh, there's more collaboration needed, there's more campaigns and initiatives going on, you have a bigger audience you're trying to reach. And so these problems become multiplied internally, that if you don't have the right processes, then you're going to struggle. If you don't have the right people you know, in the right seats, who have the right skills, you know, then you're going to also struggle. And uh, also, coincidentally, you need to have a purpose. Uh, most teams you know, have some level of skill and they have some people, obviously. Uh, but if you don't have a purpose that aligns you, that drives you together forward towards the same common mission and goal, uh, then likewise, you're going to struggle. And so it's those three pillars is how I define performance in marketing. It's your people times your process times your purpose. And if you're missing one or more of those, uh, then you have room to improve. When you say people, is that about recruiting the right people or are we talking about growing the right people? A great question. And it's both. I think you have to sometimes add people to your team. You know, if you're growing, then you need more people. You know, there's things that just, you know, you need more uh, people in seats. You need more hands on keyboards to do things. And that doesn't have to be internal. You know, you can work with contractors, with vendors, with agencies, but oftentimes you need more people. Um, but likewise, as you mentioned, as you alluded to, your people need more skills and they also need more support. And too often, we don't invest enough in our people. We don't give them the training and the skills that they really need. Because, let's be honest here, right? The one thing marketing does is change. It's changing every day. It's changing every hour almost. And so if you're not investing in your people, if you're not giving them the latest skills, if you're not getting them coaching and mentoring, if you're not giving them access to uh, information online where they can you know, stay top of uh, 
top of their game, then you're going to struggle and you're going to pay for that, whether you realize it or not. Uh, but also you need to support them. And what I mean by that is uh, people need uh, coaching and they need proper management to operate. You can't just hire a brilliant marketer and let them loose and hope that they can do everything <laughs> themselves and succeed. They need support. Yes, I think management is actually one of the issues that you sometimes see that people concentrate on getting the team right, but forget that you need the management structures and the managers and the managers also need training. Absolutely. Yes. And I think too often we like this idea that, you know, there's some brilliant marketer out there. You look at Steve Jobs, I think is a classic example. I mean, he was a genius. There's no question of that. Uh, but he didn't do, he didn't go and build the iPhone, right? And, and he didn't go and market it. He had a lot of help. He had a lot of people that he was pushing, uh, oftentimes really difficultly, really hard. Um, but he had a lot of support. He had a lot of people. And Apple had great management. And when Apple struggled, Steve Jobs came in and turned things around. So I think you're absolutely right, Kieran, that management is a key missing detail. And I've also seen that collaboration among people, between people, uh, is a core uh, challenge as well. You know, one of my clients, for example, uh, is overseas. Their headquarters is in Europe uh, and they have people in the States. And this is a huge issue because they don't see each other face to face. And the mm -hmm. culture is different in these different countries. And so they have a lot of challenges collaborating with each other remotely because they're not used to that, uh, they communicate differently, the time zone is different. I mean, there's so many challenges. And so management and collaboration among people is essential in any business, but especially in marketing, because there's such a level of collaboration required. So how do you encourage collaboration? Loaded question. There's so many ways, <laughs> but I, th I think it begins with getting the right people. You know, you can only train people so much. There are some people who just have the right personality and attitude and perspective and approach. So you have to get the right people. Uh, and sometimes, unfortunately, that means getting rid of the wrong people. And I see this really often that there'll be someone on the team who's been there, you know, 10 plus years or who's seen as uh, the innovator who has radical ideas that's helpful and we don't want to get rid of them. Sometimes you have to get rid of people. And that's unfortunate, but you have to have the right people on your team. So that's step one is figure out, do you have the right people? Who do you need to get rid of and who do you need to add? But then step two is you have to have the right process to support collaboration, because without a system in place of how do we communicate? How do we collaborate? How do we work well together? You can't just put people in a room and hope that they can figure it out. You need to provide the structure for them, provide the system for them. And that often looks different for different teams. So talk me through, because I think the, the, the process is, is quite an interesting area and it's, it's an area that often I think does get ignored in marketing. Um, so what sort of processes should companies be looking at putting in place for marketing specifically? There's two big camps or categories if you want to think about it. You know, one is operational uh, processes. How do we do what we do and how do we you know, manage it? How do we look at it? How do we uh, report on it? I would call it all the operational processes, and we can dive into those. On the other side is optimization. You know, we're, we're running campaigns, we're doing activities, we're spending money. How do we get the most out of that? And so you need to make sure that you have processes developed for both the operational side and the optimization side. And it's shocking to me, you know, even a medium-sized company that's spending a significant amount of money, there's no consideration for the optimization side. They think that, you know, eventually we'll find the right approach or tactic, but not optimizing what they're doing. And conversely, as I said, you know, the bigger you are, the more the operational side becomes necessary and important. You know, many of my clients work with dozens of agencies at the same time. And you can imagine trying to collaborate, you know, with your own team, plus then adding, you know, seven, eight, 12 agencies, it becomes really complicated really quickly. 
Yes, I think one tends to assume if you're a small business, as you grow, life gets easier. But I'm rapidly coming to the conclusion that life just gets equally complicated. It only gets harder. That's absolutely right. <laughs> so your other, um, when you said that you had sort of three things, which were people, process and purpose. So let's come to purpose. So this is about the purpose of the organization or the purpose of the marketing team, or are they both the same? Ideally, they're both the same or at least overlap. And yes, you know, people are good at their jobs. You can find people who have the right skills and you can manage those people well. But if you really want to take things to the next level, if you really want to have success in business and in marketing, you have to have a purpose. You have to know where you're going, where you're headed and why you show up to work every day and why you care about the marketing that you're doing. This is the difference between someone who's a great marketer and who's absolutely brilliant is that they have a real mission. They have a real purpose of what they're doing and why they're doing it. And I'll give you an example. One of my clients is a global company that does uh, pet they're in the pet category, pet industry. Everyone at the company has pets. And so by virtue of that, they are their own customers. You know, they want to make great products and do great marketing because they're the customer. And that gives them this shared sense of purpose that they're not separated. They're not distant from the customer they're trying to serve. They are the customer they're trying to serve. And that makes it so much more aligned and synergistic and strong uh, because they have that shared camaraderie and purpose around this. Uh, but practically, what I recommend all of my clients do is use the OKR framework, which is objectives and key results. And we can dive into that if you'd like, but essentially, you know, you have to have an alignment between what's the business heading toward and trying to accomplish, what is your marketing organization trying to accomplish, and then what are each of the teams and the individuals in those teams trying to accomplish, and how do those things all relate and ladder up, essentially, so that you're all focused and beating off the same drum and reading from the same playbook, if you will, in order to achieve a shared common goal. Yes, let's dive down to that one further, because actually that's not a, a framework I've come across. So you said it was the OKR. Yes, the OKRs. And it's popularized, I think, by Google, uh, initially used at IBM, and it's been used at many companies. It's used at a lot of startups in the tech scene and now. But essentially, objectives and, and key results have two components. There's the objective, which is what are we trying to accomplish? And that's strategic, it's directional, and it's, uh, I'd say, non-specific. You know, so we want to uh, improve brand awareness or uh, we want to become the thought leader in this space. That's a, an example of an objective. It's not measurable at all. It's very directional. It's very strategic. Below that, supporting that, you would have multiple key results. And the key results are measurable. They are specific. Um, some people like to say they're countable. And as a result of that, you can say, if we were to accomplish these key results and we could measure them, then we would make progress towards our objective. So for example, if we went to say my objective was becoming a thought leader in this, uh, in this area, then my key results might be, you know, every day I will post, you know, in, in a month I'll post 30 posts on LinkedIn. I will uh, write a book in the next nine months to become a thought leader. I will show up on these podcasts, you know, um, 20 podcasts in the next three months. And if I do those things, the expectation is that I'm moving towards my objective. And so it allows you to see the big picture, uh, but also to tie that to the day-to-day -day actions and make sure that what you're doing is contributing towards the big picture, towards your overall objective. That's quite interesting because we would normally teach this as um, setting smart objectives. 
um, and everything has to be realistic and time bound. But what you've actually done is you've split the objective off from a sort of overall, this is what we want to achieve. And then you've got your key results underneath, which are the sort of the smart bit. Abs uh, that's exactly right. The a key result becomes a smart bit. And the interesting thing about OKRs is that you are supposed to set stretch goals, essentially, in that what you outline as your key results uh, and even your objective should not necessarily be attainable. Uh, it should be 110% or 120%. Uh, so that the idea is that you never necessarily accomplish all of your key results and achieve your objective. But by doing that, you really push the team, push the organization and push yourself uh, to try really hard and to understand how to get there. The other interesting thing I wanna underscore here, which is so important, is that it's not prescriptive. You know, you, you notice the things I mentioned are the, the components that I feel would get me towards my objective, but it wasn't saying that I'm gonna appear on these specific podcasts or I'm gonna write these types of posts. That's left up to you to figure out. And that's necessary to have that ambiguity because you don't want to be too prescriptive. Uh, that way the team can figure out what's the best path there. Uh, you don't want to outline the, the roadmap for them, one, two, three, do this. You want to say, here's the objective, here's the key results, emphasis on the results, the outcomes that we'll accomplish. Now go and figure out how to best do it with the time and budget and team that we have. That's quite nice, isn't it? Because it, it stops the sort of micromanagement and allows people to be your teams to be in control of what they the way they are going to achieve the results. Absolutely. And they love that. You know, people thrive mm. for this. I mean, Dan Pink has written extensively about this, that at the higher levels, you know, we want, we crave autonomy uh, and freedom and especially the new generations coming in. You know, that's music to their ears. So if you want to, you know, recruit people and build a great culture and have a great marketing team, you know, this is this is the way to do it. This is the way to equip your people. And as I mentioned before, especially teams working remote and collaborating, you know, from different countries, this is really the only way to operate, right? You can't all get together in a room every day and, uh, and meet and sit down and map out plans. So you have to have some autonomy and you have to work asynchronously. Yes, let's explore the asynchronous side because it was one of the things that interests me when you were talking about um, companies where you've perhaps got people in in the states and people in in Europe, and, and we're dealing with this time time zone issue at the moment. Um, it does mean that your people in Europe will have started their working day before the, your your stateside teams come on board, and and so on around the world. How, uh, what processes can companies put in place to help with that? Well, first, let's acknowledge that this is not new. You know, I think the pandemic really threw mm -hmm. people for a loop and they said, oh, my God, we have to stay at home and now we can work remote and everyone is trying to adapt to this still. You know, I've been working remote for 12 years or more <laughs> uh, and it's not a new thing. You know, companies have been remote for a long time. So there's a lot of best practices around how to operate remotely and asynchronously. And we just have to really catch up with the times. And we're fortunate because we're living in an era where we have tools like Slack or Microsoft Teams, which I loathe, but, you know, <laughs> Slack, there's a lot of ways to communicate and operate. Uh, and we have Zoom and all sorts of things. So the tools and the technology are there. Uh, we just have to be intentional about how we use them. And I think in terms of asynchronous work, you know, all of the practices that are effective in person uh, still work uh, asynchronously. For example, you know, daily stand-ups. Getting together every day for 10 to 15 minutes to have everyone check in and say, what have you done? What are you doing? And, and how can we help you with any issues you're facing still works asynchronously. You can have a Slack channel and have everybody post in there when they log in 
And that way you have a record that everyone can see. It doesn't have to happen at the same time. So if you have people in the UK and people in the States, you know, you can still do this. It's still um, very easy, very low effort. And the return, the impact here is massive. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to come back to um, one thing about your um, your OKR system. You said that they should be stretch goals and they should be goals that are sort of 110, 120%. Does does that actually become demotivating eventually because you never actually achieve the goals that have been set? Well, you'd be surprised. You know, once the team gets familiar with the OKRs, sometimes you end up hitting those goals. And that's an exhilarating moment. You know, when you feel like we set this goal that was well beyond what we thought we could achieve. And as a team, we accomplished it. You know, that's, that's a really rewarding moment. And that's one of the benefits of setting the stretch goals. I think to your point, though, absolutely, most of the time, you know, the, the plan, the desire is not to hit them. But you learn so much in the process. And this is what fascinates me the most about marketing is that it's really about learning. You know, I often tell people, nobody knows what will work in marketing. You know, you don't know, I don't know, uh, your, your vendors don't know, your agency doesn't know, these big companies have no, no clue. You know, no one knows. And to me, that's the most exciting thing. And the reason no one knows is because it's constantly changing, cultures changing, people change, there's new competition, etc. But if you believe that, if you agree with that, that nobody knows what will work, then it gives us the reason, I think, to set big, audacious goals because in that process of trying to reach, trying to climb over this massive mountain, uh, we learn a lot. We get to see a lot and figure out what doesn't work. And that's, I think, the rewarding part of it. And this goes back to people. You know, if you have people who want to uh, sit at home in front of their desk and be told, do this and clock in your hours and then clock out, those people, I think, are the type of people who will most likely be disappointed by not hitting these goals set before them. But if you get the right people who are ambitious, and excited and want to learn and want to get their hands dirty, those people will keep driving towards, towards the goal forward, uh, whether they hit it or not. And in the process, they'll learn and create some really amazing outcomes. Yes, I do find it's one of the things of um, working for an organization that wants to be continuously improving is that you constantly have to reassure people that you never actually reach the end point, which I think is why I was asking, you know, is it a bit demotivating that as soon as you think yes. you've done something great, there's another thing that you can change. It's so true, isn't it? it? And it is frustrating to some extent. Uh, and I often see it with my clients, you know, we'll, we'll have an amazing result. And it's like, this is just the beginning. We have to keep going. You know, it never, it never ends. But I think that's, again, the joy of marketing, that we're in this industry, we're in this field that uh, is full of change and challenges and excitement and new things and, and innovations. And to me, that's really exciting. So the final thing I wanted to come on to is you said you, your clients were sort of $1 billion plus companies. And I suspect a lot of the listeners don't work for companies that, that large. What's the difference? Are there differences between large and small companies? I mean, there's an obvious one of there's more money around and there's more people. But is there anything else? Are there cultural differences that you see? Yes, surprisingly and shockingly, I would I would argue that I think it's uh, easier and sometimes uh, more enjoyable the smaller you are. You know, I, I've worked with startups as well, and in a startup, you know, you can do whatever you want. There's no rules really. There's no process. <laughs> it's just a uh, free range. Do whatever you will, and that's really empowering because if you want to make a change, you can go and make a change. If you have an idea, we can go and test it. The larger you get, and a lot of my clients struggle with this. You know, people are afraid to speak up because they're worried about their job or how they'll be viewed. Uh, ideas are often 
push through the system, which is very slow and clunky. And so by the time you have an idea, it might be, you know, three, four, five, six months later till we're actually thinking about it and doing something about it. Uh, and in addition, you know, there's a lot of process, which is necessary, um, but often it's the wrong process because it's, it's corporate process, not process that's conducive to marketing teams. And in the, in the big company world, and in, even in smaller companies as well, marketing is an add-on. You know, companies say, we need to sell stuff. We need to, you know, impress our shareholders, our investors. So let's add on marketing and do some marketing stuff. That's not how marketing works. You know, you need to be a marketing organization. Marketing should come first. This is what Apple did so well under the leadership of Steve Jobs. They're a marketing company and they happen to make some products also. Um, but Steve Jobs was a marketer. And so big companies really struggle with that. And so if you're at a, you know, a mid-market or smaller company, uh, one, I think it's an exciting opportunity to try many new things in terms of the freedom you have and the lack of structure and constraints. Uh, yes, you have you know, uh, fewer funds, but that I think also is a good thing uh, that large companies waste an enormous amount of money uh, like you wouldn't believe, and they're able to do so and survive, but it gives us, I think, the challenge as a smaller company to find out and be scrappy. You know, great marketing isn't expensive, so find ways to do the most with what you have. Uh, and also start to develop the right processes uh, and don't worry about all the processes and all the systems, but choose the couple that you need, the couple where you really could benefit and develop those, refine those, and those will pay you dividends well into the future as your company, as your team continues to grow. Tim, before I let you go, did you have any top tips for the listeners, please? Absolutely. I would say we talked about OKRs and I really recommend using the OKR system or having some system for aligning your team uh, around your objectives and where you're headed and what you're doing. That's number one. The second is really look at your people and, and determine and decide where you can support them better, whether that's training or, or whether that's support in terms of management or coaching, uh, but get your people the help that they need. You have to invest in your people. It's the only option. And third and final, your processes. And specifically, I would encourage you to look at optimization. There's so much opportunity that you have right now in the marketing that you're already doing to improve it, to get better results and more revenue from your marketing. But you have to have a systematic way to look at that and to optimize what you're doing. So OKRs and then invest in your people and then develop a process for optimization. Tim, thank you very much indeed. You're welcome. Thanks so much.